All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Mason Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast run by individuals of unflappable resolve and nothing but time on their hands. I am Jared Stormer of MasonBrew.com. With me this week as a titan of men and good friend of mine, Anthony Broom, our fearless leader at Mason Brew. Anthony, good sir, how are you holding up, my friend, against COVID-19 and the depression that is quarantine 2020? <laughs> I I am holding up uh, as far as which end of the spectrum that is as of right now. Uh, it varies. I mean, here in the state of Michigan today as we're recording this, I'm pretty sure that we experienced all four seasons. Uh, it snowed, it was sunny, it was cold, it was windy. So that will... Um, you talk about run by individuals of unflappable resolve, and uh, <laughs> my resolve is being tested, man. But uh, it's good to be here. Uh, good to be back chatting with you, and uh, you know, pray that we just continue to keep trucking along. Yeah, to quote Jim Harbaugh, who quoted Winston Churchill, "This shall be our finest hour." <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's all you can do, man. We got some snow coming for us in Colorado this weekend. It is much better to quarantine when the weather's nice. So you can at least open the windows and like pretend that you have a life and the, the, the world outside exists. But you know, I'm not going to complain too much. Healthy and still here and able to talk football with you, which I'm looking forward to, man. It'll be a nice little distraction. Yeah, distractions are welcome. And, and like I said, I think. As far as moods go, I think as long as you can kind of crack a window, things aren't that terrible. Um, maybe I'm a glass half full guy. Maybe that's you know that's just kind of how it is. But yeah, ready to to get moving here, get trucking along, and uh, just take my my mind off of you can't see me, but literally waving my hands at everything else going on. So. <laughs> exactly, man. The world is just weird right now, but a uh, great time for Out of the Blue, you know, the podcast that doesn't generally need a, a, a topic and doesn't need sports to talk about nonsense. So that's what we're going to try and do here this week. <laughs> um, you know, a little bit of a off-season filler content, but I'm excited for this. Tonight, we're going to talk a little uh, player comparisons for um Michigan players coming back next year. We're going to do a little stats prediction, kind of look at their production from last year, um, look at where we see them fitting into this 2020 team, and then predicting if we see those stats going up or down or staying about the same. So um, should be a cool little exercise. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, there's a nice blend here of, I, I won't say new faces, but guys who are stepping into larger roles and, guys that were dudes last year for this team already. So uh, in terms of what the discussion will be, you know, offensively, defensively, whose production goes up, whose goes down. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting exercise. So I'm looking forward to what we come up with out of it. Yeah, let's do it, man. There have been some, um, you know, a little rumbling, some small news, mostly with the basketball team, as far as, um, you know, just some housekeeping stuff. But we'll leave that for the brewcast fellas. You guys can take care of that. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, we got to we got to spread our content. Uh, we're spread pretty thin right now, so we got to distribute equally. Yes, yes, so. we do. Although it it is uh, draft month, and I am very keen on drafts, so uh, I'm excited to do some mock drafts, do the uh, the spring draft coming up. So, you know, we'll we'll fill it in with what we got. Yeah. No, I'm I'm jacked for that too. 
Like right. drafts, it's going to be a weird draft, but everything's yeah. weird. So we just yeah. kind of have to lean into it right now. Steer into the skid. Yeah, the virtual NFL draft still moving forward. It'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. I'm intrigued by it. And I, I'm glad they're giving us content, giving us something while, you know, maintaining social distancing. So yeah, wait there you go. Every now and again, the NFL gets it right. But uh, <laughs> all right, man, you ready to get into this? Start doing some stats prediction. Let's do it. All right, my friend. Uh, yeah, we won't even tell anybody that this is our third time going through this. So we've got <laughs> had some technical issues. So we're pretty well versed in this right now. But uh, yeah, let's start on the defense, my man. Um, you know, a little more exciting on the offense, predicting stats. You're not going to see crazy stats on the defense, especially in the defensive backfield. We'll start with Ambry Thomas, a player that I'm very excited about returning. I would say more excited about Ambry Thomas coming back this year than I was about Lavert Hill coming back last year. Um, had a great season in 2019, especially when you consider that he came into the season, you know, not banged up. You know, he had a colitis, I think it was. Yep. Uh, yep. Colitis. 2019 stats, 38 tackles and three interceptions tied with Lavert Hill for the most on the team. Um, and when you look at three interceptions, that's pretty solid in the college game. Uh, uh, Jordan Lewis never had more than two in a season at Michigan. So um, Amory Thomas clocks in. He's about six foot, 185, one of the fastest guys on the team. My player comparison for him is Christian Fulton out of LSU. Also six foot, a little heavier. Um, but like we were saying, he had colitis last year. So he gets a whole offseason in the gym. Amory Thomas could put on some weight. And uh, one of the more athletic players we have on the defense. Um, so how do you see this? You got a player comp and where do you see his stats going up, down or staying the same? Yeah, it might be recency bias because I literally was watching this dude earlier. And also he apparently ran a four, three, eight at his quote unquote wow. pro day. Um, maybe not quite as long. Um, you know, I see Avery Thomas is kind of a string bean type of guy, but he doesn't, he doesn't play like a guy that, you know, is six foot one eighty. I think he plays a little, more physical than that. Obviously he's, he's a fast guy. Um, if I'm looking at someone in this draft class that we're about to see, you know, go through in, in a couple weeks here, um, I see a little bit of Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi state, at least in terms of, of measurables. Uh, Dantzler was six two, one eighty eight. 188. Uh, Thomas is only six feet tall, but um, you know, I think Ambry Thomas, you know, Dantzler is probably a day two guy. I do think if Thomas puts on, or is able to put on and maintain good weight, which, you know, he really wasn't able to do last year because of the, um, and he did get put that weight back on after the colitis scare, but um, with a full off season, full strength uh, program to go to, I think that he could be a first rounder like we expect uh, Christian Fulton to be. So um, I like your comparison. Again, mine was just more of a recency bias type thing. Um, do I think that I think that Ambry Thomas is probably somewhere in that four three eight uh, range? If you were to time his forty right now, uh, we'll see what it's like this time next year. But um, yeah, a guy who I think is, you know, you look at the stats here, like you said, uh, thirty eight tackles, three picks, three picks is, you know, compared to the guys that you just spoke about, um, that's kind of a lot. Do I think those numbers will go up? Probably not because I think he's going to be more of a shutdown guy this year. I don't think teams are really going to test him um, and tackles might slightly go up. But again, we've talked about this before, whether it's with you or on the other podcast, you don't want your tackle numbers to be high as a corner. So right. if he stays there around 38, 35 uh, to 40, I think that's it's a pretty darn good year. 
Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Um, we'll start with the fact that you really don't want his tackles going up above 38. Uh, you know, they're supposed to be them and your safeties, your last line of defense, unless, you know, there's a lot of, you face a lot of opponents that are getting out on the edge and he's making tackles on the edge. Uh, more than a capable tackler. So I like that Cameron Dantzler comparison. I also like that comparison because Dantzler's probably a day two um, either second or third round guy. And if Ambry Thomas puts up just the same numbers that he did and runs a four, three, eight. Um, yeah. He's probably going to be a, a late first round, early second round kind of guy. So I like that range. Christian Fulton might go first round this year. So that's probably a good ceiling for Ambry Thomas, but four, three, eight is cooking. If you have four, three, eight and three interceptions and 40 tackles next year, and you're playing shutdown at Michigan and you're going to see some pretty good quarterbacks next year, Adrian Martinez and Justin Fields, a, a good year like that. And I could see Ambry Thomas going really high. And you're talking all Big Ten type potential. Yeah. Uh, Michigan has, I think, probably four guys that have a shot to be first rounders next year. And and he would be one of them. I mean, six foot is kind of the cutoff between, you know, can you play on the boundary or can, you know, are you going to be an inside guy in the NFL? I mean, some of that is dependent on what your skill set is, but. I think he's a guy that can play a boundary corner at the next level. I think that you will see him develop a little more physically, or at least, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's not going to come out looking jacked like DK Metcalf, but um, maybe a much healthier looking, or maybe, you know, just more physically developed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So if he does that and doesn't lose much of that speed and plays as well, I mean, for as much talk as Levert Hill was getting coming back last year, being the team's number one corner, um, you could make the argument, and I'd listen to it, that Ambry Thomas was the team's best player in the secondary, and he's only going to get better. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. I like that. Yeah, you could easily make that argument, and you'd have some pretty good talking points there. Um, Part of, you know, Ambry Thomas having such a good year and getting three picks is you had Levert Hill on the other side. So uh, that that takes us to our next guy, and Vincent Gray, who's going to have a big impact on what happens with Ambry Thomas. Um, because if Vincent Gray, who had a pretty good season last year, I mean, first time he was seeing the field, 2019 stats, 20 tackles, no interceptions, um, but he was our third cornerback, wasn't relied a lot upon a ton, um, did get picked on a little bit. 6'2", 182 last year, needed to put on a little weight, but you got to like what you see as far as potential. Um, the player comp, and we've said it to death now, um, a better tackling Channing Stribling, and I think we both kind of like that comparison. Um, which would be a, a pretty good player. Uh, Channing, Channing Stribling was no slouch in coverage. So if Vincent Gray can match Channing Stribling's coverage skills, and he's already a much better tackler than Channing Stribling, he can actually lay some wood. Um, you've got a pretty good player here, especially at 6'2", 185, we'll say. If he gets up to 6'2", 200 pounds, I mean, that's a, that's a big dude at corner. So yeah. um, I think his stats in 2020 go up just as a result of being the number two cornerback. He's going to get a pick or two as well. Uh, he'll get a chance to show uh, some improvement in, in the back end in coverage. So hopefully he takes that next step. Uh, what do you think about Vincent Gray? Yeah, there, he's going to get thrown at a little bit because of what the film is uh, from last year. And I think that's where he has a chance to be a guy that maybe has you know, three or four picks, which again it's, is a lot. But um, you, know, you look at – I just think he, he – Michigan is really high on him. I know they're excited about what he brings to the table. Um, what you saw to him last year when he was on the field was a lot of mistakes, not unlike what you would see out of a redshirt freshman. Guys, there's a few p- positions where guys just don't come in and play shut down 
or you know, like superstars right away. Wide receiver is one of them. Uh, there's always rare rare occasions for that. Offensive line would be one of them. Cornerback mm-hmm. would probably be in the top three there. Maybe safety too. Uh, we saw how long it took for them to work in the next guy that we talk about. Vincent Gray to me is just a really, really, you know, I think he's going to be a really solid number two. Again, maybe not a guy who, you know, two, three years from now when we're talking about him in the NFL draft. Um, maybe not a guy we're talking about in the same vein as, as Thomas where we think if things break right, he is a first-round pick. But, you know, I see a guy that has maybe a mid mid to late round uh, grade on him. And, again, you talk about, uh, you know, needs to get a little bit stronger. He's at 182 as of us recording this now. But six foot two. I mean, the NFL loves guys, loves corners with length. I, I think Richard Sherman was kind of like, not the first, but sort of a, you know, he was sort of a renaissance, so to speak, of, you know, you can get these wide receivers are getting bigger, stronger, faster. And I think we're starting to see that the corners are catching up to that as well. Um, so, yeah, there's some development that needs to take place there. But um, 20 tackles, that will definitely go up. He's going to have a couple picks. Um, you know, I think that you have a really nice player here, Vincent Gray, and I'm excited to see how he develops, especially because – when you look at what's behind him and, and Ambry Thomas on the depth chart, there's not a ton of, I won't say, I won't say there are liabilities there, but there's a lot of question marks there, which kind of has been the norm for Michigan uh, the last couple of years as they rebuild and reload um, with losing these guys to the NFL. So he kind of has to be good, but I, I expect him to be good as well. Yeah, same here. He's kind of in a position where uh, there's a lot of pressure on him because he saw the field and he's expected to step up and be this player. Guys like him and and maybe Jalen Mayfield and Stuber, guys that saw little action in 2019, but are kind of being counted on now in 2020. So very interested to see uh, how he trends. And if he trends upward and becomes like a better tackling Channing Stripling, we're in pretty good shape next year in the backfield. So in the back end. Um, so I like that comparison. Both of us in agreement. Stats are going up. Uh, you want to take us into the next guy, sir? Yeah, I teased him in my uh, just a couple seconds ago here. A guy who I think, um, I'll just say his name, get it out of the way first. Dax Hill, a five-star guy. Someone who last year, I think a lot of people were hoping that he'd come in from day one and, and be this, this force on the back end. And it took some time. I mean, he was a guy who wasn't on campus until June. There's the bridge program, so he wasn't totally up to speed um, until you know until fall camp there. So they worked him in slowly. He was a special teams guy, and then as the year went on, we saw him play the nickel and then um, play some safety down the stretch as well. Uh, Dax Hill, I think, I mean, it, it, as as far as the five star prospects that's come to Michigan in the last you know five to ten years, and they've been hit or miss, and and we know who those guys are. We won't rehash that here, but this is the guy that I think is the staff, at least under Jim Harbaugh and a five-star prospect is probably the most excited about. And he speaks Harbaugh, his staff, they speak highly of all their guys, but um, Dax Hill, I mean, anytime you bring his name up, there's, there's an eyebrow raise. There's that glimmer in the eye. And I think that when you look at what he brings to the table, uh, you have your version of Minka Fitzpatrick. We know that he can, slide down and play in the slot. We know that he can, you know, can play deep safety if he needs to. Um, this guy's a Swiss army knife. So you have your, you have your Mika Fitzpatrick, you have your, um, 
I did this in the last recording too. Derwin James uh, from from the Chargers and formerly of Florida State. So that's who this guy is to me. Uh, he is tremendous. Uh, I don't. I'm so excited to see how he develops from here. Last season, 36 tackles, one pick. Those numbers are going up. You're going to see a forced fumble. You're going to see other stuff there too. Uh, I think this guy will probably, you know, my my hot take sitting here on April uh, April 9th as we record, this will be Michigan's best defensive player this year. Love it. I love the heat take there. Um, and you're not going out too far on a limb there with that. I mean, he's already on the short list of guys for candidacy for best player on the defense. I like your comparisons, especially with that kind of chess piece on the defense mentality there. I think you'll see him moved around a lot more this next year and that benefits the defense. Um, I think you're going to see him on blitzes a lot. He's one of our fastest guys has a nose for the football. So you're going to see some sacks. You're going to see some tackles for losses. Um, I'll throw another player comp out there. Dax Hill, who was six foot one ninety last year, Jamal Adams, former LSU current New York Jets safety six foot two fourteen at the time he was drafted. Similar type of player can hit can cover could play free or strong safety, could play nickel, could play corner potentially if you wanted him to. Uh, don't think Michigan will do that, but you'll see him almost everywhere else. And this is a guy that's going to have a big year. And um, yeah, I'm totally fine with you saying one of the best players on the defense. His numbers are going up, uh, interceptions up, tackles up, force fumbles, tackles for loss, you name it. Um, you know, he's probably going to, I could see him getting a defensive score at some point. He's just yeah. that athletic. So this is a guy that's going to absolutely be someone to watch on the defense. One of the players I'm most excited to watch in 2020. And if he continues to trend the way he's trending, he'll be a first round pick. Yeah. And something to keep in mind with him too, is that, you know, Michigan obviously places a premium on their guys being versatile. Uh, But next season, they're not going to have Josh Uche and, um, you know, we'll probably talk about in a bit what they might be able to do with linebackers, but um, you don't have a guy to step into the Josh Uche role. So you kind of have to Frankenstein some of those things he brings to the table. You talk about setting this guy on blitzes. You talk about dropping him back in coverage. I mean, um, that's a guy that, that those are things that Uche was able to do. And I'd imagine most of that will be offset by the linebacker position. But um, I, I do think there's a lot in Dax Hill's skill set that, uh, you know, maybe you can pick up some of those responsibilities as well. So um, it kind of feels like this might be the most, this has a chance to be maybe the most toolsy or maybe versatile defense in the back seven that Don Brown has had, uh, even without Josh Uche on the roster next year. Again, I know we have questions about defensive tackle and things we'll address here soon, but um, they could do a lot of different things here. And now when you look at the assistant coaches they have in, Bob Shoup is a former defensive coordinator who's coaching your safeties now. You've got Brian Jean Mary, who's run a defense before. You've got a lot of former defensive coordinators and kind of creative guys in the room now. So I'm really excited to see how they, you know, use the Swiss Army knives that they have, so to speak. Yeah, very much. And something that I didn't really think about until just now with the versatility of Dax Hill you almost wonder with the safety group we've got coming in, if you hit on say an RJ Moten or a Jordan Morant and they can start to work in later in the year, if you don't use Dax Hill a little bit at Viper with his versatility, get him up a little bit closer to the line, get him more involved in blitzes. 
I mean, not something that you hear tossed around a lot, but a player that could probably fill in and be closer to Jabril Peppers than Khalid Hudson if you did put him there. Yeah, I, I think it's possible. I think there are certain looks where you could see that. I mean, again, it's all based on this is a – a defensive staff and, and people rag on Don Brown and I get it. And I, I share a lot of those concerns, but they do a lot of different sub package type stuff. Just think, think about the, um, you know, that NASCAR package we'd see last year where it was, you know, four down linemen and they were all defensive ends. Uh, that's just an example of some of the things, the different thing, things that they've been able to do. So, um, but speaking of the linebacker position, as we get into our next guy here, someone who, Kind of, I don't want to say Wally pipped Josh Ross uh, because he was far from Hank Aaron, but man, oh man, the promise of what he brings to the table is, um, I don't have a word to describe it. Uh, Cam McGrone, a guy last year, 65 tackles, nine tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. Um, Someone who's not quite Devin Bush, but does a lot of Devin Bush things and you know, like I said, it's it's hard to live up to that, but at times when camera going, we're, I, so, sometimes I struggle with that last name. I just develop like a speech impediment when I say it. I don't know why. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue a little bit. Cam McGlone. Cam McGlone. Um, when he was playing at his best, he, uh, you know, like I said, he, he was pretty fun to watch. And there wasn't much of a drop off there from Devin Bush when he was playing his best. Yeah, this is a guy that came in and definitely took snaps from Josh Ross once he went out injured. I have a harder time saying Josh Ross. I have to like slow myself on that one. Uh, but Cam McGrone, 6'1", 232. In 2019, his stats, 65 tackles, nine of them for loss with two and a half sacks. That's not playing the entire year. Um, there were games where he looked like the best defensive player on the field um, against Notre Dame comes to mind. He was all over the field against Notre Dame. Um, kind of cooled off a little bit towards the end of the season. It may have been that people were running away from him because you start to get a little bit of a Devin Bush impact from him. I like that comparison for him, but the better player comparison, best one that I've got um, in this exercise is Levante David, former Nebraska linebacker. He was a day two pick, put up huge numbers for Nebraska, exact same height and weight as Cam McGrone. So McGrone could actually put on some weight and come in heavier than David. Um, but yeah, listen to these stats um, from Levante David, his last year, or his second to last year, 152 tackles, 12 and a half for loss, and six sacks. Now, I don't think that McGrone's going to quite get up to those levels. That would be a monster, monster year. Um, and he'd be able to go in the draft, wouldn't he? If After this year? Yeah, this is yeah, yeah. his third year. So he's yeah. another guy that I, yeah, I talk about potentially four first rounders. He would be in that group. Mm-hmm. And this is another guy that he's on the short list. If you're trying to figure out who the best player on the defense is, it's between McGrone, Hutchinson, and Dax Hill, I would say. Would you agree? Yeah, and God, I feel stupid now. I say that my lock was that Dax Hill would be the best player on the defense, which I still don't think is that hot of a take, but I, I kind of forgot about Eden Hutchinson too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's probably <laughs> going to be my pick, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, it's a good problem to have. It is a good problem to have. So, yeah, I love the Levante-David comparison for him. This guy's numbers are going to go up. Um, nine tackles for loss is a really good year. Um, 
he was he was definitely in the backfield, and that seems to stand out about his 2019 campaign. 65 tackles was going up. He could end up being the leading tackler. I would bet it on him or whoever takes over the Viper, maybe Michael Barrett being your leading tackler. Um, I'll say up in every category. I'll say up in tackles, up in tackles for loss, and definitely up in sacks. One of those other guys that's going to kind of fill in in that Frankenstein approach to replacing Uche's um, pass rushing, like you were saying. So this is a guy I'll go I'll go up across the board for McGrone in 2020. Yeah, uh, I've I've waffled on this in the other the other recordings we've done, but I think I'm pretty. I think I've been convinced. I think those numbers will go up as well. Um, especially because, like I said before, Josh Ross is still at Michigan. Uh, so for now, we assume he's he's too athletic to not be kept on the or to not be on the field in some capacity. And I do think that he maybe fits a little better inside. So if you're looking at a scenario where you can get both of those guys on the field, that's when maybe you do see Cameron Grown slide to the outside and, and do some of those Uche type things or whatever they ask him to do. Um, my player comp. I've said it a few times already. He's like a diet Devin Bush. Um, not quite as sweet, but uh, not not the worst alternative in the world either. He's, you know, what? diet's a bad. He's Devin Bush zero. He's the Coke zero of Devin Bushes. So it, Is um, Coke zero better than diet Coke? I think so. People oh. might agree with me. That might be that might be the hottest take of this, of this pod. Very well could be. We'll have to hear. I feel like Coke zero still has that. It, it still has that bite at the end. If you take a sip of Coke, there's like a bite at the end of it. Yeah. Diet Coke doesn't really have that. There's a sweetness there, but um, Coke Zero kind of does. But I'm not a pop person, so I could be talking on my rear end now. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely a Midwest person by calling it pop, though. So Yeah. That. Yeah. I would say yeah. like Jordan Glasgow was more of a Devin Bush light, like a tackling machine, but not nearly as fast, not nearly as athletic. Yeah, that's fair, too. Yeah, so. yeah. So I'll, All right. I like uh, Devin Bush Zero. I mean... If you can get half of his production that you saw from Tevin Bush, uh, we'll be just fine at the linebacker position. And that's a great point. You get Josh Ross out there as well. So, um, you know, another potential candidate for your leading tackler. So I'm, I'm predicting big things from uh, from Cam McGrone. And, um, you know, it, a lot of that will depend on, uh, you know, the next position group that we're going to get to here in a minute, how the defensive line shapes up as to how much, you know, how they're able to use him and where you're seeing most of his production. But um, I think we're both in agreement. Stats up, 2020 for Cam McGrone. Stock up. Stock up. All right, uh, let's get to the defensive line here. Actually, let's let's take a quick break first, and then we'll get back and we'll go down the defensive line and get into the offense. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, my man. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are doing our statistics prediction, our player comparisons, however you want to call it. We uh, not quite finished with the defense. We ended on Cam McGrone. My player comp for him, Levante David, is the best player comp you're ever going to hear. Mark it down. Uh, but we will we will move on now to a player. Had Carlo Kemp here in this position at defensive tackle that we were going to look at, but I could not find a good Carlo Kemp comparison. Uh, mostly because he may not get drafted. He's kind of like one of those good but not great defensive tackles. Yeah. So went with Chris Hinton. We've got a little bit higher ceiling here. Uh, very athletic interior defender. 
Um, you know, not necessarily like a run stopper, like a Will Campbell, just a big body. Chris Hinton at 6'4", 303, uh, pretty athletic and started to get more playing time as the year went on last year. Stats aren't really anything to write home about. Ten tackles, no, none for loss, no sacks, but was used sparingly in 2019. Um, so I've got a player comp for this. I'll start it out. I think it's Larry Ogunjobi, currently of the Cleveland Browns, played at Charlotte. Uh, he's 6'3", 305, kind of that tall, uh, more athletic interior defender. So, uh, yeah, what do you think about Chris Hinton? Uh, you got a player comp and stats up, down, or the same? Uh, stats up for sure, uh, given yeah. that he's going to play a lot. He and Mozzie Smith will play quite a bit this year, assuming that they progress the way that they expect them to. Uh, because I haven't been grinding on it as much tape and because I don't, uh, when I do that, I kind of tend to start comparing guys to Michigan players I've seen. You look at his sure, build. I do a lot of that. You look at his build. You look at uh, you know the athleticism. He, I think he, I think he might have a guy who might be a slightly higher ceiling. Willie Henry here, um, athletic. Uh, according to what I have here on Willie Henry, it says he was six three three oh five. So that kind of puts us mm-hmm. right, right in that same kind of uh, area there. Um, Chris Hinton's a good player, and it's a guy where, like I said, um, so. Sidebar anecdote. Last year, or last year, a couple months ago, we were down at the Citrus Bowl. There was a, an event where Michigan and Alabama players like teamed up to take kids around this like super cheap amusement park. But you know, it was a for the kids, all that stuff. So you saw all of these Michigan like Michigan players and Alabama players walking around in basically sweatshirts and um, you know the team sweatpants. So you kind of had a, got a feel for people talk about how sec football is it's almost like watching a different sport because of how big and how fast they are. A lot of those Alabama guys look, look exactly like what Michigan guys do. And maybe they're just better players. Maybe they're better coached. I don't know what it is, but um, my point there with that is that there were a couple guys during that whole exchange or during that whole day where you know, you're kind of just looking at who's a couple guys stand out for being physical specimens above everyone else. Um, Jedrick Wills from Alabama. I don't know if you've watched any of his tape, but if you're familiar mm-hmm, with sure. him, he is an absolute, like he is, he looks like the incredible Hulk. He looks like something out of a comic book. So when you're looking for those guys, just to kind of see who stands out above the rest, Chris Hint was a guy that I was kind of like taken aback by, so to speak of just how physically big, um, you know, how compact of a, you know, a player he looks like to be. So I think, I think they have something here. Now, again, he started to play a little bit more later on in the year. Um, but for whatever reason, just didn't quite crack through as a true freshman. And, and I understand, I mean, it's, it's tough to do. I think just, you know, people take that for granted sometimes that, you know, oh, he's a five-star guy or he's a high four-star guy. Look how physically ready to go. He is. There's a lot of mental reps that go into it too. Um, especially when you're doing what Michigan's doing and starting to play some more of these three-man fronts. So the opportunity isn't always there, uh, but I think it will be this year. And I think, again, this is an easy, I mean, he had 10 tackles and that was, that was his only stats last year. It's the easiest over in the history of overs for me. 
Yeah, this is an extremely easy over. Um, not that I really think the players are too similar because, like I said, Ogunjobi, or excuse me, Hinton, who I compared to Ogunjobi, looks lean. He looks big and lean and mean, almost more like Rashawn Gary did at defensive end when I look at Hinton. And uh, you look at the best defensive tackle performance we've had in recent years, and that would be Maurice Hurst's 2017 campaign, where he had 13 tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. Five and a half sacks at the defensive tackle position is not really something you hear a lot of. So I don't think we should expect to see that. But I'm going to go with something like this guy. He could easily get 10 tackles for loss. A defensive tackle, you want to see that double-digit tackle for loss. And I'll go something like two and a half, three sacks. That's not something you expect to see. But that would be a good season for Chris Hinton. Something like, uh, I don't know, 50 tackles. Um, 10 of them for loss, two and a half, three sacks. If, if we see that, I think that we've seen improvement from our defensive line. Uh, if, if you see that, I mean, you're talking, I, I think if he does that, you're talking about someone who might be like an all big 10 performer. So I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I go quite there, but again, the biggest leap that a lot of these guys make is from that freshman to sophomore year, um, which is actually a perfect segue into who we're going to talk about next as uh, Aiden Hutchinson. As we go to the defensive end spot, um, Jared, what is your comparison for Aiden Hutchinson? I got a couple. I couldn't quite come up with one that sounded exactly right. So I put a few names on there and I don't even want to get into it, but there gets into this thing when you've got a white defensive end that a lot of people <laughs> want to compare them to another white defensive end. We won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, but Joey Bosa came to mind because of the size and the speed and the violence. Now, obviously, that would be top-end ceiling for Aiden Hutchinson, but Aiden Hutchinson is 6'6", 280 pounds and only getting bigger. I mean, this guy could end up at 290 pounds at 6'6". There's not many players like that. I look at a guy like Daniil Hunter out of LSU who didn't really have big numbers at LSU, um, but that kind of size, or a TJ Watt, even out of Wisconsin, who's closer in size. He's around that 6'5", very disruptive. I think TJ Watt might be a little bit more of just a natural instinct guy than Aiden Hutchinson. Um, but those are the kind of names you're throwing out as far as his ceiling. This is my pick for best player on the defense. Andy and I are very vocal about it. Um, there's other guys that could step up. But as of right now, Aiden Hutchinson is the best player on this defense. 2019 stats, uh, nothing to scoff at. 69 tackles, 10 of them for loss, and three and a half sacks. Um, absolutely no problem with any of that. And I'll compare him to Joey Bosa, who in his sophomore year had a monster year. I mean, 13 and a half sacks is, is not normal. Um, so he's not going to quite get there, but I'm. this is my lock. Aiden Hutchinson goes double-digit sacks in 2020. Ooh, a lock. I see, I have a hard time locking guys on that defensive uh the defensive front for Michigan only because they rotate so much. Um, so I don't know if I'll call it a lock, but you know, you but who's, who's rotating with him though. Like, I mean, behind you got Quiddy pay on the other side. You're basically saying you expect David Ojabo to come in and get meaningful snaps. I mean, maybe, maybe him. I know they've been talking up Luigi Villain, but we haven't. Luigi, seen I won't hear it. We won't hear it on out of the blue. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to bemoan. I think that's an awesome double digit sacks is, is it's a lot. Uh, I'm calling it, man. I've been I've been high on this now for some time. I think he's the best player on the defense. Or right, what do you think about that call? Is he the best player on the defense? I think so, and I think that he has a chance to be the best edge rusher that um, a Jim Harbaugh team has had to this point. Um, yeah, there were times. I mean, he single hand like sing, when I say sometimes we overuse the term single handedly. 
I'm telling you, he single-handedly preserved the win against Army. Like that's the type. Yes. Of, that's the type of performer that he is. Um, and when I look at these stats, like the tackles for loss don't surprise me, but three and a half sacks, that seems low for how for how awesome he played last year. Definitely, um, definitely should have been higher. So I don't know, double digit sacks. Here I am, kind of bemoaning your pick of double digit sacks. I could see him at like nine and a half. So I'm slightly below that anyway. <laughs> you um, round up at nine and a half. Well, there you go. So maybe I'm on board anyways. But yeah, he- Taco Charlton got 10 sacks. I think Aiden Hutchinson is about five times the player Taco Charlton is. So I don't think he lasts beyond this year. I don't think we see him for a senior year. So I'm going for it with his junior campaign. That's fine. I'm here for that. Uh, I think that he is... Of these guys that I've talked about as potential first-round picks, I think that of the he's the lock of the bunch. Oh yeah, considering the you know the build, the athleticism. I think you wrote down Daniil Hunter here in the doc. I think that's Daniil Hunter was interesting because he didn't really have a ton of sacks um, no. in college. It wasn't until he got into um, the NFL that he kind of you know he's a you know, through five seasons he's a fifty-four and a half sack guy, which is insane. He's not even uh, – he just – he'll be 26 on October 29th. So that dude – and that dude feels like he's been around forever. Um, I like that comparison. I can see this being a case where those sack numbers in college are low, and then once you are unleashed in the NFL, so to speak. And, and Daniel Hunter was a third-round pick. I think Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a first-round pick. He's not going to – First-round pick. So, ten sacks would about guarantee that, which is what I'm predicting. If he's if he's at ten sacks, that's a first round pick. Six six two eighty. That is a monster. Like yeah. not even the Bosa boys are that big. Like that's crazy. Yeah, and he's 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 a good player. He's I think he will. He's going to wind up being a captain. He's going to be the best player on defense. Um, I'm fine with locking all of that in. And you know what? I'm at nine and a half sacks. He might as well lock me in for double. Love it. All right, you got nine and a half. I got ten and a half. We're basically of the same mind. Let's let's move on. You want to take us to our next guy? Yeah, let's see who we have here. Quiddy Pay and your comparison. I don't want to steal your thunder. Uh, please, please. Your comparison is the one that I thought of immediately, and it's Chris Wormley. Um, I think we're both in lockstep there. Quiddy Pay is a guy who, you know, obviously, as your <clears throat> as your your a guy that can kind of be that run anchoring defensive end. He can rush the passer a little bit in certain fronts. He can kick inside. He's versatile. I think um, he's been a little more athletic um, as his career has gone on. I, I love watching Quiddy play. Quiddy pay play. That's a hard, that's a hard to say. That's yeah, really hard well, to say. An alliteration there. <laughs> I love watching him play football. Um, you know, I don't know. I think his role at Michigan is kind of what hurts him at the next level. Cause I do think he's kind of a tweener, but as far as a good college defensive lineman goes, um, you know, Quiddy pay is, is a guy that, uh, you know, he'll be in an NFL camp and he'll probably get drafted later. Um, again, this is way too early to even talk about those type of things. We still have a draft ahead of us. that needs to happen, but um, right. Like I said, kind of in the same vein as Vincent gray or, you know, Channing Stribling, where it's like, this guy is just a really solid college football player. That's kind of how I feel about Quiddy Pay. So, um, 2019 stats: 50 tackles, 12 tackles for loss, six and a half stats. Um, gosh, I, I kind of see things. I think he's a pretty finished product. So I think maybe you see those sack numbers go down a little bit, but 
Um, I think everything else probably stays about the same, don't you? Yeah, it's going to be similar. And I look at Chris Wormley's second to last year, and the numbers are almost identical of what you see with Quiddy Pay there. And uh, he came back for his senior year, as you remember, that 2016 team. And Wormley's numbers pretty much went down a little bit across the board. I think you could probably expect to see that with Quiddy Pay, something like 45 tackle. It's just going to be just under those numbers, I imagine, which doesn't necessarily like indicate like a, a downtick in performance, people just might start game planning for him a little more. He's not going to sneak up on anybody. Maybe that means something good, like a David Ojabo is working his way into the rotation. He's too good to keep off the field or something like that. So I'll go down on Quiddy Pay as well, but not necessarily saying he's going to degrade as a player. Yeah, no, I think it's just, you know, it's the idea that I think players around him will step up and he'll just kind of be what he is, which is a pretty darn good player. Fourth, um, fifth round guy, I think. Could be. I think that's probably what his ceiling is. It, again, it's just, you know, when you don't have a – like some guys, like, okay, your guy like Isaiah Simmons, Josh Uche, you don't really have a position at the next level, but you do enough good things. Um, when you're just like a versatile defensive lineman, I think it kind of hurts. To me, it's like the same thing as in the NBA draft – why team like there's no good reason why teams do this but if you're a senior in the nba draft teams are just kind of like ah he's a senior he's a finished product um that's kind of what i see yeah. here with quitty pay's future so again good yeah. player he's a pro player like don't get me wrong mm-hmm. um, yep you know anything yeah. more than being a mid to late round guy i think i'd be pretty surprised and don't get me wrong i'd be delighted by if he's anything more than that this year um, yeah, absolutely. He is Chris Wormley. It's a great player comp. Wormley's still in the league. The numbers match up. It, it, it I think it, it's perfect. There's, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being like people. That's fine. He doesn't have a, you know, he doesn't have a pro decision to make. He's going to be a senior, so he'll be coming out regardless. But some people are like, when these guys have these pro decisions to make, they go, "Oh, well, he won't be anything more than a rotational player in the league." Yeah, those guys make those guys stick. And they make a lot of money because there's not enough as much wear on them. Yeah, so. I mean, you think you think Jared Wilson's mad right now? Jared Wilson's still in the league. Yeah, as a I, rotation guy. I had to think about who you're even talking about there. So, like, yeah, still in the league. What does, it, what does that tell you? So, yeah, yeah, that's all you need. All right, let's hit special teams real quick. Uh, we won't go too much into a player comp for a kicker, but I want to touch on Quinn Nordine. Um, so we'll go look at the point total. 2017, he accounted for 92 points, which is a big year. 2018, that number dropped to 78. 2019, it dropped again to 58. The difference being, seemed as though his confidence returned at the end of 2019. He won't be the unquestioned starter, but this is probably your kicker going in this year. So let's go 2019 stats. Um, We can talk about extra point percentage. We can talk about field goal percentage. We can talk about his long, which was 57 last year. Um, Which which stat do you want to go? Or do you want to go total points? Um, hmm. So it's 28 of 29 extra points, 10 of 13 on field goals. Which is surprisingly good. You you think about how awful Quinn Nordine has been at times. There's nothing wrong with 77%. Well, and he ended the year on a high note, too. I think the 57-yarder yeah. was, I think, against Bama, wasn't it? going into the half at the bowl game. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it gave them like a 14-11 lead or something. I don't know. something. That was a really weird game. Um, it was a weird game. Big kick, though. It was a huge kick. Um, yeah, I, I think it's so hard to tell because 
they do seem dead set on this whole go with the hot leg. So Jake Moody will factor in here somewhere. Um, but Quinn Nordeem seems like a guy that has kind of figured it out. I mean, there were times where I'm kind of like, is this guy going to transfer? Um, Cause remember he had kind of a weird recruitment too, where there was, Oh, I remember. We we've gone in depth about Quinn Nordine on this podcast. We are <laughs> right, general I'm not, reporter. I'm not quite an every episode guy. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I think it's hard to. I mean, ninety. He only missed one extra point. It's hard to go over under on that, especially yeah. they are still gimmies in college. They haven't moved extra points back, so um, I'll just say over on field goal attempts and makes because I think he might take a. You know, as a senior, a guy who's been through some stuff, I think that he'll kind of take the reins on that. So um, I'll go over with, uh, you know, did he kick all of Michigan's extra points last year? I don't know about that. I'd have to look into that. But uh, I think that this will be more of a year where someone wins it and does more. Yeah. And and maybe maybe they give Moody the extra points and give Nordine field goals. I mean, so it's tough to predict that. I think you're absolutely right about attempts go up, and I'll bet they let him boot a 60-yarder for shits and giggles. Yeah, and you know, guess what? They're going to break in a new quarterback, and he's going to struggle a bit early on, especially yeah. with the lack of snaps in the spring. So guess what? As much as you hate to hear it, they're going to be settling for some field goals early on in the season, probably yeah. in some games they that people will be frustrated that they're doing that in. But like Washington, he's going to be needed game one. Yeah, they're, yeah. There's not really any. Uh, there's not much wiggle room early on, so no. they're going no, to he'll, he'll... Someone to, you, you can't. You're going to go play a game at Washington. We're not playing musical chairs with any of these positions there. I'm not playing two quarterbacks. I'm not playing two kickers. No, no, not against figured out. And yeah, I'll give yeah. I'll give Quinn Nordine the nod there for sure. I'm I'm with you. All right, man. Let's get moving here on to offense. Uh, we'll start off with Ronnie Bell, one of the most consistent, proven, trusted weapons. We're not even going to talk about the drop at Penn State. Uh, he's six foot one eighty four. My player comp for him, and I really like this player comp even though it's from our hated rivals, Chris Olave over at Ohio State. Uh, he's 6'1", 185, smooth route runners, solid hands, not going to drop a lot, can catch in traffic. Uh, Olave, a little bit more of a big play guy. He had 12 touchdowns last year to Ronnie Bell's one. So receptions for Ronnie Bell last year, 48, 758 yards, one touchdown. Um, that one touchdown stands out there for sure, especially when compared against those other two numbers. Um, I see this as up in almost every category, definitely touchdowns. Yeah, I would say up for sure. Um, my comparison for him again, I'm not even just defaulting to Michigan guy here, but you look at the build, you look at the production. I think you're looking at Steve Breston right here. Um, Steve Breston in his junior season at Michigan actually had, um, we'll we'll just run it. So he had 38 catches his his sophomore year, uh, redshirt freshman, technically. 34 his his second year, 26 his third year, and 58 in his senior year. I think we're probably closer to that 58. Um, Steve Breston's senior year, 58 catches, 670 yards, two touchdowns. I'm going to stick with that. I, I think that he is the he is going to be the Steve Breston to um, the guy later on in our list who might be more of the Braylon type of guy. So yeah, I'd say up in just about every category. Um, maybe not receiving yards, but I think he's going to catch. I won't be surprised to see him catch 60 balls. 
Yeah, receiving yards means we've got competent quarterback play. If he goes up in receiving yards, it's going to be a good year for our entire offense because 758 is pretty solid for your number two or maybe your number three guy. Although you could make an argument he was your number one guy last year. It, Ronnie Bell's kind of a weird case. I love the Steve Breston comparison for numbers, but I see him more as where Breston was a big play guy. I think Ronnie Bell's your possession guy, your Brian Hartline type of guy. Yeah. Um, but That's yeah, I see numbers going up. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I look at him at is like he's not your big play home run hitter. He's not your jump ball guy. But if if you want a guy that's going to get the catch, this is your guy, like a Hunter Renfro maybe or somebody like that, just very dependable. Uh, the Penn State drop is an anomaly. It's just not meant to be that day. Um, so, yeah, touchdowns are going up for sure. He'll have more than one touchdown. And I predict a big year for Ronnie Bell. And if he's having a big year, it, it's good things for the offense. Um, yeah, uh, you want to take us to that next guy on the list who you kind of previewed already? Yeah, and I'll, I do have one last thought on him. I think oh, it's, please, it's please, going to be it. interesting to see. Um, obviously, they're breaking in a lot of new wide receivers and new quarterbacks. So a lot of the reason that Ronnie Bell's pr- production last year was as high as it was because he was in a groove with Shea Patterson. So I things might be vault. I, I think outside of Nico Collins, who we're about to go into here, it's kind of volatile in terms of who's kind of that next in line. Um, I think yeah. it's going to depend on who the quarterback is, but we will go into Nico yeah. Collins now. Uh, last season, you look at the receptions, uh, 37 catches, 729 yards, seven touchdowns. Um, that feels low, <laughs> uh, especially <laughs> seeing as they, for the first, seems like six, seven, eight games of the year, they would throw at him like maybe four or five times a game. Um, when you throw to this guy down the field, he is either going to rebound the ball and just snatch it out of the air over one, two, maybe three guys, or he's going to draw a pass interference penalty. Um, and which is why I, I love, I love your comparison here. So I'm going to, I'm going to copy you again. I like the Alshon Jeffrey comparison. I think he's that type of guy. And uh, again, um, I think Jeffrey was a second round pick, but yep, again, with almost identical numbers. Yeah, I think when you look at – that's probably his floor. I think he might have been a second-round pick if he came out this year. Um, I think the floor is pretty high for him. It's just how high does it go from there. Um, Nico Collins, a player to me that receptions are going to go up. He's going to have – he might double the 37 catches because I think they know what they have there now. Um, there's kind of a lot to go around last year, whereas now maybe you have – one or two guys that you kind of hone in on more. Nico Collins, receptions will be up. Receiving yards will be up. I don't know about touchdowns. That's kind of tricky, especially if he's a guy you're just going to chuck the ball to down the field and then, you know, he gets goes out of bounds or is tackled. Um, you know, I don't know if he's a guy that necessarily, I think he can house a deep ball, but I think he's more of that, you know, jump ball type wide receiver as opposed to a guy that, you know, you get him the football, he's going to split the defense like Larry Fitzgerald in the Super Bowl. Um, so I don't know about touchdowns, but I think the other numbers will be up. Yeah, um, this is a guy I wanted to spend a second on. Apologize if I rushed you through Ronnie Bell because I wanted to get to Nico Collins. Um, the Braylon Edwards comparison um, is there because you think of just the best jump ball receiver that we've had in a while and your mind goes back to Braylon Edwards. Braylon Edwards had monster numbers. He had three seasons where he was over a thousand yards, won the Bolitnikoff in his senior year with 15 touchdowns. Nico Collins isn't going to touch those numbers this year. Let's, let's be straight. And if he is, this is going to be a top five offense, top 10 offense. 
Um, so numbers wise, Braylon Edwards doesn't make sense, but the best pure NFL ready wide receiver we've had since Braylon Edwards, I'll buy it. The Alshon Jeffrey comparison is perfect. Um, as far as comparison of stats, pretty much the exact same. He had 43 receptions to Nico Collins, 37 last year, and he had eight touchdowns, uh, to Nico Collins, seven last year. And Alshon Jeffrey's an inch shorter and he went in the second round. So that kind of goes to just how good this receiver class is this year, that he could have gotten lost in that mix and maybe gone third round. Coming back is a brilliant move. He's going to be a first-round, second-round guy at the lowest. Um, I I feel you on the predictions. Um, It's kind of tough to predict the touchdowns because seven's a solid year. I'm going up on everything. This is my offensive player I'm all in on. He's, in my opinion, the best pound-for-pound offensive player that we have returning, proven. Um, so I'm going to go up. I, I think he gets close to a thousand yards, maybe not over it. That doesn't happen a lot at Michigan anymore. Um, but I'm thinking 10, 11 touchdowns, I'm thinking a big year. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go with my projection here. I think he'll catch 60 balls. I think he'll probably have, gosh, maybe, maybe 900, maybe 950 yards. I don't think he'll top a thousand. And then I'll go, why not? I'll go up on touchdowns. I'll say he has eight touchdowns, which I think that's, that's not too bad. I'll take it again. It all kind of depends on the impact of those. You know, you don't want empty stats. I mean, there are guys that fill up stat sheets and it just doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, He's going to be, again, it might just, it's going to be quarterback dependent too. Um, We'll talk about quarterbacks here later on, but I have some thoughts about how things could branch off with either of those guys that win it. But Nico Collins, man, I mean, if if we're going to go Aiden Hutchinson as the stone cold lock on the defensive side of the ball, he is for me. This is, this is Nico Collins. That's him on this, on the offensive side. We agree, sir. Yes. So let's go. All right. I love it. Go ahead. Take us in. All right, Zach Charbonnet. Uh, we're talking about drinking responsibly. Maybe just have a glass of Charbonnet with dinner. Uh, Love it. Last season, as a true freshman, I mean, God, there were concerns about uh, his workload. But look at this. And they did a pretty good job limiting it. Limit it. Excuse me. I can't talk in this show. They did a pretty good <laughs> job limiting uh, his workload after it became pretty clear What after he had, what, 30 rushes and for 90 yards, four touchdowns against army. I think they did a pretty good job of kind of limiting him throughout the year. Uh, 149 rushes, 726 yards, 11 touchdowns. That's a hell of a freshman year. I mean, I know he's, he wasn't like a five-star guy. We knew he was going to play early, but that's, that's good stuff. And he pass protects really well. As far as a comparison, it's still early, but I do think see him kind of being like a David Johnson type of back. Um, mm, I like that. Know, Very balanced. Pretty balanced. And he's, like I said, just does everything well. Um, I do like your uh, comparisons as well, uh, as well as who you have for the next guy we talk about. But yeah, Zach Charbonnet. Here's the thing that I'm interested in looking at in the running back position in general. For as good as both Charbonnet and Hassan Haskins were last year, those guys didn't really catch the ball a ton out of the backfield. And that's no. where I think Chris uh, Chris Evans coming back adds a new wrinkle. I think Giles Jackson is going to play wide receiver, but I think they can do some of those things out of the backfield. Um, but I think that, you know, of the two guys, I think Charbonnet certainly could stand from a 
a heavier workload in, in terms of reception. So um, I'm really excited to see what he does uh, this season. Yeah. A couple things I want to touch on there with what you said. Um, do you see him as running back one a next year? Oh gosh. I mean, he's, he's, it's either one a or one B. I mean, there's no way around it. It's what it's, it's one a or one B or some combination, right? Yeah. I think, but, I think he pulls away just a little bit more. He pulled away. To me, his best game was actually against Alabama. He looked the healthiest, and we got our best first look at a healthy Zach Charbonnet. And it, to me, his ceiling rose when I saw that. Uh, added a little bit of breakaway speed. Yeah, um, so that's why for player comps, I got Philip Lindsay or James Conner. Uh, Stature-wise, not Philip Lindsay. He's 5'8". Stature-wise, more James Conner. But you're looking at a very balanced back in Zach Charbonnet, and I think that's why he gets it. Pass protection was there. Um, Hassan Haskins had some trouble down the stretch picking and hitting the right hole. Zach Charbonnet is incredibly intelligent for a freshman, and I think it's maybe those mental things and the fact that physically him and Haskins are about even there. Um, I don't know if one's more of a home run hitter than the other. But I, I've got Charbonnet ahead because of the mental aspects, the pass protection, the fact that he knows where the holes are. And I, I see stats going up, but at the same time, running back's very interesting because you've got maybe one of the best backfields in the Big Ten, and a lot of guys are going to need to touch the ball. Forget wanting to touch the ball. you got to get Giles Jackson, Hassan Haskins, and Chris Evans the ball. So that's a lot of miles to feed, but I'm still going up. Um, on Zach Charbonnet's numbers, touchdowns maybe not. He had 11 touchdowns last year. Um, he kind that, of became that, that Ben Mason type of back. Where if they're on when the goal we went away from Ben Mason, yeah, yeah. If you're on the goal line, that's the guy who's getting the ball. And I think I don't. It was early on in the year. It might have been after the first game of the year. It was definitely in those first two weeks. We had a media scrum where we talked to tight ends coach Sharon Moore, and someone asked him about Charbonnet and his pass protection. He said. I haven't seen a guy um, pass bro- pass block like that as a true freshman at that position since I was at Oklahoma. And, you know, Sharon, Sharon Moore went to Oklahoma. Who did he play with? Adrian Peterson. I don't, I don't take that praise lightly at all. I, I think that's not saying he's going to become Adrian Peterson, but I think that's – the kid was – the kid was at prom, you know, four or five months before the season started last year. And he, to do what he did, um, I could not be more impressed with what I saw out of him. Yeah. I mean, um, he's just a well-rounded, well-rounded running back. And that's why I like my James Conner comparison. Cause he does everything pretty well. You'd like to see, uh, the receptions go up, which they gradually did for James Conner over his career. Um, but I would not be surprised if he goes over a thousand. If anyone's going over a thousand next year, I think Zach Charbonnet is is head over heels the your candidate to go over a thousand. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, Hassan Haskins, I think is a good player. I still just think, I mean, we could just jump off into him from here. Last year he had 121 carries, 622 yards, average five yards a pop, four touchdowns. It, it kind of seems like most of that came in a couple games. Uh, but again, I'm not. At the start of the year last year, they went from Zach Charbonnet, um, his name escapes me, Christian Turner, Ben Van yep. Summeren, and then it was Hassan Haskins. And then to move up kind of two or three rungs on that ladder the way he did was pretty impressive. Again, I, I don't think he's as well polished. I think that, uh, you know, again, he kind of just reminds me of a, 
early on in his career, Karan Higdon, who would go on to be a a bit of a feature back later on in his career. But um, he's obviously a little bit bigger. But again, I just I I don't I think he's more of a complimentary guy and a good complimentary guy. Uh, Probably as good a number two or one B as as you could ask for. I just I I look at the stats and I kind of am I alone in thinking he might go under. No, you're not alone in that. This is a tough guy to get a read on because you don't know if, you know, mid-season Hassan Haskins is the real Hassan Haskins or late-season where he almost disappeared. At times, like against Notre Dame, namely, he looked like the best running back on the roster. Looked to have a combination of breakaway speed, a little bit of Karan Higdon meets Devion Smith. Um Looked like an incredible back, um, but notoriously had an awful game against Ohio State. He's not alone there and uh, just kind of disappeared down the stretch. So very difficult to predict, but I could see a guy like Giles Jackson be getting more touches than this guy next year. Chris Evans is going to get a lot of touches. This is a guy that I could I'm going to go down on. Um, Touchdowns might go up. You know, he might be a guy that shares a little bit. Yeah, but I, I think down. I think you're right. Yeah, the thing with him too is, you know, we talked about how he didn't have a great game against Ohio State. And correct me if I'm wrong, there was the play in the fourth quarter about eight minutes to go. Was he the one on the fourth down run where if he just juked into the right touchdown? touchdown. Correct. And it's a yeah, it's a touchdown point game with you know time to to go, and, and the game sputters from there. So that's kind of a microcosm of you know talk about how his vision needs to improve. And again, that's another. Some guys just have that natural feel, but you need reps there too. So maybe that was a learning experience. I'm not down on him. It's just um, when I, when you ask me between these two players who I think is going to show out a little bit more, um, no one's going to truly emerge as a 200 carry workhorse back. That's just not how Michigan operates. Uh, And they're deep enough to where they don't have to operate that way. But I just, I think it's Charbonnet. I think, I don't think it's one A and one B. I think it's one and two. I, I just, mm-hmm. that's the trajectory I see anyways. Yeah. I see it as one and two um, with our next guy that we want to talk about. And as well as Chris Evans, include him in that conversation as well as being kind of like utility guys, guys that can come in and do different stuff for you. And that's Giles Jackson. Um, maybe the player I was most excited to talk stats for, um, because when you're looking at a player comp for a guy like Giles Jackson, what they want him to be is what Percy Harvin was at Florida. And I, I posted his stats into the doc because I didn't realize just how absurd they were. Um, it, we will not get to Percy Harvin levels. Uh, let's just say that Percy Harvin was averaging like 700 yards rushing and receiving with like double digit touchdowns, both rushing and receiving just an absolute stud of a weapon. But Curtis Samuel, another guy, Urban Meyer wanted that same kind of thing uh, when he went to Ohio State. That's more of a guy that I think is what you could see from Giles Jackson. That's what they want him to be, at least. 2019 stats, um, he had 10 rushes for 69 yards. That's actually 6.9 yards per average or per carry, best on the team. Um, one rushing touchdown, nine receptions, 142 yards, and one reception touchdown, one kick return touchdown. So, Really solid freshman year, but uh, how do you see Giles Jackson? Up, down, the same, and do you have a player comp? All right, so for Giles Jackson, a guy that, again, I, Percy Harvin, again, I'm not saying that it's unfounded, but it might be ambitious to expect him to be that. A guy that I think that is kind of an interesting comparison 
Um, you know, you're looking for chess pieces in this this Josh Gaddis offense now, and he's a guy who can certainly do that. He's going to primarily play wide receiver, going to do a few things here and there, running back. He reminds me, and we're going back to like 2005, 2006, 2007 here. Um, do you remember Derek Williams at Penn State? Wow, that is going deep into my memory banks. Uh, vaguely, let me pull him up. He was a third-round pick, uh, the 2009 draft by the Lions, um, and he was a guy who was kind of like a forty, like a forty to fifty-ish catch guy a year, who would also run the ball about you know thirty to forty times too. Uh, when you look at his stats, so I, I just kind of as a chess piece. I just kind of see him being that type of guy, um, you know, freshman to senior year, 394 yards from scrimmage, 585, 630, 728. So I, that is something where we're probably looking more along the lines of, you know, Giles Jackson. He's probably in that 25 to 40 catch range, maybe has 25 to 30 rushes. I think that's kind of how they're going to use him. And, and, Derek Williams at Penn State. That that goes before obviously Josh Gaddis was at Penn State. But that comparison, I don't know why. That's the one I wasn't necessarily prepared to make that comparison. But as we were as I was looking and just kind of you know, we're looking for body types and, and roles, that one kind of feels like it has a chance to stick. I love that. I absolutely love that comparison. I just had to pull up Derek Williams' numbers. And yeah, if you get those numbers out of Giles Jackson, that is this working, to quote Moneyball. Um, That would be outstanding. And that's what they want. And Giles Jackson is the funnest to look at for this exercise because he's kind of part of the changing of the guard. This is what Josh Gaddis wants to do, and they want weapons like this. And quite frankly, Michigan hasn't had a weapon like this. Um, Steve Breston's the closest thing, but they didn't use him anything like we're going to use Giles Jackson next year. So that's a player. Nico Collins is our best offensive player, and Giles Jackson might not even be top five offensive players. But players I'm excited to watch next year, It's for me, it's Giles Jackson one. I would. I tend to agree. I think that's you're looking for that third guy at wide receiver. I can't even call him a third like wide receiver. Like you're you're looking for another playmaker. I think he's the leader in the clubhouse, along with a guy like, you know, another true freshman coming in, uh, AJ Henning, who's someone that might also be that type of guy that can give you that tar- type of juice in terms of can catch a little bit, can run the the ball a little bit. So yeah, Giles Jackson, I'm I'm very pumped for, but not nearly as pumped as I am for where it looks like we're going next. If you want to tee that yeah, up for us, let's, let's let's finish strong. You want me to set this up? It's your show, man. You got to set up the finale. <laughs> Now, technically, it's your show and I work for you, but <laughs> nonetheless. All right, so we're going to finish with quarterback, which is an interesting position because we don't even know who our quarterback is. So doing some projections here is a little bit more of a fun exercise than anything. But at the same time, we're going to try and get this as close as we can to what we expect to see. Um, so you've got, we all know basically what this comes down to. It's uh, Dylan McCaffrey or on this show, as he's known, Run DMC. Uh, or Joe Milton, the prodigy. And uh, I guess we should first get that out of the way. Who do you see winning this? So who are we going to be talking about in this? Yeah, I think with all this, uh, with the COVID stuff going on and no... He goes COVID. Interesting. All right. Coronavirus, COVID, whatever. I've been doing a lot (laughs) of... No, no, no. I love it. Let's go. (laughs) Um, COVID-19, if you will. Um, 
with there not being spring football, I, I do think that that skews this quarterback battle to being one where mm-hmm. you kind of go with the devil you know in terms of devil or Dylan McCaffrey. I almost called him Devil McCaffrey. Maybe that's a new mm-hmm. nickname. Um, it, I think it's probably Dylan McCaffrey. I'm not going to be surprised either way still. Uh, I just think that if they even get a normal fall camp, it's those snaps that that battle is um, – there's just not as much opportunity to make up that ground there. So I'm going into the 2020 season, assuming that it's going to be Dylan McCaffrey. Um, and maybe you lose Joe Milton because of that. But you know, if that's, if that's the cost of, you know, you have a five-star coming in next year and JJ McCarthy, so be it, I guess. But um, if you're asking me who I'd like to see more of the two, I love guys that are able to throw the ball 70 or 80 yards down the field just for the hell of it. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see Joe Milton win the battle, but um, given the current state that we're in with what's going on, I do think that it skews things more to, to, towards Dylan McCaffrey. That's an interesting point, and I didn't really even think about that. But yeah, no, I would say that Joe Milton would have benefited from a spring more so than Dylan McCaffrey. Uh, McCaffrey's simply taken more stats or snaps, excuse me. Um, but speaking of stats, the 2019 stats, which you can take with a grain of salt for Dylan McCaffrey, he actually had better 2018 stats. Um, he was 10 for 20, 50%, 116 yards, one touchdown, 67 rush yards, one rushing touchdown. Um, his 2018 numbers were actually better, and his best throw as a quarterback comes in 2018 against Nebraska. And if you're projecting off of that throw and that throw alone and, and maybe like what you've seen from rushing the ball, the best comparisons I can come up with for this guy, and I could take some flack for this because they both won Heismans, and that's Marcus Mariota or Cam Newton. Marcus Mariota was only 6'2", but to find a quarterback that runs like McCaffrey does, that shows the potential for having a cannon of an arm, and maybe not a cannon. If if you're giving Milton the cannon distinction, I don't think McCaffrey gets cannon, but a more live arm than Shea Patterson had or Jake Rudock had or Wilton Spate had, you're looking at very limited company of other quarterbacks that have that size, that speed, and the ability to push the ball down the field. So you're literally looking at guys like Cam Newton. Uh, you're looking at guys like like a cross between Cardell Jones and JT Barrett, like Braxton Miller with more touch. I mean, you're, you're getting into some interesting names projecting with Dylan McCaffrey. Yeah, it's like I said, I, I think that what I was kind of teasing earlier is that I do for I do think that Dylan McCaffrey has arm talent. Like obviously, you wouldn't be if they didn't think he could play quarterback. They'd probably have moved him to wide receiver because that's how they were trying to get him on the field last year, anyways, um, until the concussion. So he's going to play quarterback. They like him at quarterback. I really do think that if he didn't get concussed at Wisconsin, I thought that they were. It looked like they had sort of turned the page on Shea Patterson and. They were going to give Dylan McCaffrey a shot to play. Um, obviously, that didn't happen, and I think that that kind of set back his development a little bit, which makes this quarterback battle even that much more fascinating. Um, when we look at this battle here, you talk about throws that show you what uh, what a guy is capable of. Go back to the throw that Joe Milton made in gar- – it was garbage time against Rutgers, but I believe that the touchdown was to Giles. Giles Jackson. It may you talk about the one against Ohio State. Doesn't he have one at the in garbage time against Ohio State? He might, but there's there's the one that he had um, 
whatever his first career touchdown pass was, I think it was against Rutgers. Um, the ball. Oh, I know the pass long across the field, long across the field. It exploded off of his hand and you put it, he could not have put it in a, in a better spot for, I think it was Giles Jackson that had the touchdown. Sounds right. That sounds right. Um, so there's a couple glimpses of what either of those guys can be. If you're looking at a potential comparison for, um, for Joe Milton, I think that's when you just look at him, you look at him having stood next to him at some of the bowl game stuff, watch him warm up, look how he sees on the field in pads. He looks a lot like Cam Newton and he looks that way. And if he can run and he can throw the football, he might be a guy that sort of plays that way. And again, I know we're comparing guys to Heisman, but I'm not going to come in here and tell you, ah, oh, he's six, four, uh, but he might not be that good. So he, maybe he's Devin Gardner. Like we're having fun here with the conversation. Um, I, it's one of those things where I, I don't think they can make a wrong decision in this quarterback battle. Um, but it's I also feel like how the offense looks is going to kind of be determined by who wins this battle. If it is McCaffrey, Agreed. I see it being a little more West coasty and run based. And that's maybe where you see a little bit more Ed Warner influence on the offense coming from that, um, that Ohio state background that he called plays in. And if it's Joe Milton, I think that while he can still do a lot of those same things, you're looking at maybe, you know, the good version of what Carl D- Cardale Jones was at Ohio state guy with a cannon arm, you know, accuracy might need some work at times, but someone who can stretch the ball down the field and someone who's also able to run it when the opportunity presents itself. So like I said, I feel like, you know, as scary, this is really the first time that Michigan's had a, a true, a true quarterback battle, not a, you know, Oh, you know, we'll roll the ball, we'll roll the balls out there and see what the guys come up with. Like this is really the first time I, I think it's truly unknown what's going to happen. So, um, you can say Wilton Spate and John O'Corn, but that was a very different type of quarterback battle. Those yeah. are, you're, you're just looking for you were looking for guys that could manage the game. Now you're looking for guys that can maybe, you know, heck, maybe they they're good enough to beat Ohio State on their own, or maybe they're good enough to get you back into a New Year's Six game. That's what you're looking for now, and I think that you know whoever wins this battle, if if Joe Milton wins this battle, I don't think it necessarily means that. Dylan McCaffrey is a bust and he didn't show up. Like that's only good things for Michigan. And likewise, if Dylan McCaffrey is able to beat out the arm talent and the athleticism of Joe Milton, like I said, I I don't think there are any losers here except for you might just lose one of them to the transfer portal. Yeah, I agree with literally everything that you said, no matter who wins this, the ceiling of the quarterback position will be raised substantially. Um, You know, I'm not here to bash bash Shea Patterson, but as far as arm talent, both of these guys got him. Um, It's interesting to try and project arm talent for a guy like Dylan McCaffrey or even Joe Milton. Um, It's a little easier with Milton because my God, that ball comes off of his hand. Like, I mean, it's very difficult to find comparisons. Um, with McCaffrey, uh, you're, you're more looking for his ability to throw an accurate ball and control the offense. I think he's got plenty of arm talent. He's got all the arm talent Wilton Spate had. Um, so in attempting to make a stats prediction for this, that's actually who I used. I went off Wilton Spate's best year, which was by far 2016 at Michigan, um, where he threw, he completed 61% of his passes for 2,500 yards, basically, and 18 touchdowns, seven interceptions. 
So I don't see Dylan McCaffrey possibly doing worse in pass efficiency than Wilton Spate. He's like taller than, well, Wilton Spate was a pretty big dude. They're about the same height, um, but just a better prospect, a better arm. Um, he's had more snaps leading up to his first full year than Wilton Spate was given when he started in 2016. So, I mean, he's got quite a few snaps under his belt now. So I see him doing something like Wilton Spate through the air, but I think through the ground is where you on the ground is where you see Dylan McCaffrey make a huge impact. And I could see something like 500 rushing yards and seven touchdowns on the ground from Dylan McCaffrey. Yeah, I could see that if we're, like we're just going to go ahead and assume he's the guy like I am. That's fine. I think that sounds right. Like Wilton Spate, the statue of Bo outside of Shebeckler Hall has is more mobile than Wilton Spate was. So that's almost, <laughs> exactly. It's not even almost like a direct comparison. But passing-wise, like, you know, 20 to 22 passing touchdowns, seven, eight picks, uh, like I said, if Dylan McCaffrey's the guy, I don't know if they're going to throw the ball more than 20, 25 times a game. Whereas if it's Joe Milton, maybe they're in the thirties. Um, you know, there, there are not many halves of football in the history of Michigan athletics, Michigan Wolverines history of that winged helmet where they passed more than they ran. Like, I think one of the only ones I've ever seen in modern times was like the first half against middle Tennessee state last year. So it's a team that's still going to run the football, but like I said, you know, you're looking at maybe, I don't know, um, 26, 2700 yards passing 20 touchdowns, eight or nine picks. And then, yeah, if, uh, if I really think either of those guys could rack up five, 600 yards on the ground, I, don't Probably. Think, that's, I think that that's honestly, assuming the quarterback keeps stays in the playbook, which, you know, it certainly will be there if McCaffrey wins the job. And I think that Joe Milton can still pull it off too. Um, just see how those keep reads go. I know that was a problem last year and has been in the past, but uh, yeah, that's, that seems logical and people want us to, to get sexy with the numbers. But like I said, I think we're just kind of setting a baseline expectation here. Let me just say this, and this is kind of maybe my final thought on quarterbacks in general. Michigan, the floor of Michigan's quarterback situation is probably what they were last year. Anyways, they're probably a nine, nine and three, nine and four team um, on the low end of things. And if your quarterback play is better than that, um, and let's give Shea Patterson credit by the end of the year, he's playing pretty good football. Um, If your quarterback play is better than what Shea Patterson was giving you statistically. And, you know, you hit on a few more of those deep balls here and there you're going to be in pretty good shape to win 10 games. So um, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be excited about there. Yeah. This is the one position that if you look at and you say, where is Michigan going to take a jump? It, it seems like it's clearly here because if somebody's performing worse than Shea Patterson was last year, you have no reason not to go to the next guy. Cause you feel so good about both guys that you've got. You feel like you've got two guys that are going to raise the ceiling of this program and Obviously, we're fans and, you know, being optimistic here on something that's pure projection. But if you go back, there's enough to see on tape to be excited about. And uh, and like you were saying, I'm totally fine with those numbers. If you do those numbers, 20 plus touchdowns, 
um, and, and then say you get seven touchdowns rushing and 500 yards rushing, um, that is improving the ceiling of this team uh, with a far more favorable schedule. And yeah, you're looking at 10 wins, maybe 11 wins um, and going undefeated into Ohio State, which is potential is the ceiling of next year's team. Um, I'm not even going to touch the Ohio State game right now as we record this in early April. But um, yeah, improvement at that position and the numbers we're talking on some of these guys could mean big things. Yeah, and if we're talking about the quarterback, like I know bashing Shea Patterson is kind of in style at the moment and was throughout his time later on at Michigan, but like I said, I think what he gave you was, you know, above average to good quarterback play. And if we're talking about it being less than that, then yeah, we're probably looking at a situation where things are like 2017 again, where the defense, you're leaning hard on the defense, but you just can't get anything through the air. And I'm not, I'm not going to discount that and say it's not possible, but there's so much more talent in this quarterback room. Um, you know, if you put Cade McNamara on that 2017 team, I think he's better than probably two of the yeah. three guys that played quarterback. So I love that point. I absolutely um, love that point. And let's not discount Josh Gaddis, huge part yeah. of them. I mean, uh, somebody that's not stuck in the stone age and realizes he's got playmakers all over the field again back-to-back years where you really got to love your playmakers. Yeah. I think, I think you're, you're pretty confident, you know, if this was a situation going into last year where you're breaking in a new offensive coordinator, you've got all these, you know, new looks, different things going on, then maybe you're a little more scared. But what I saw out of Josh Gaddis at the end of the year, and, and there were still some, some gaffes here and there that'll happen. And, and when, you know, I'll just put it this way. Sometimes quarterback play can overshadow that. And, there were times where quarterback didn't do his new offensive coordinator a ton of favors, namely early in the season where you couldn't hold on to the football. So it's a symbiotic relationship. I also think that Ben McDaniels is doing a pretty solid job and they're not, you know, obviously recruits like what they see right now. Cause you've got a five-star coming in. And like I said, I think the arrow still kind of points up on what, where this program is going offensively. It truly feels like, you know, outside of the, the parlor trick rich rod days it does truly feel like for the first time in you know really seriously ever that michigan is committed to not being what it always has been and i think that's exciting and and for as down as people are on jim harbaugh and this program and you could make the case that they're resting on their laurels and that they're you know maybe not working as hard as they should be in certain areas um that pivot has proven to be the right one. And I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Same here, brother. Absolutely. A lot to be excited about, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but that's going to do it for us tonight. I enjoyed this. This was a good off season discussion. Um, You know, a lot of times it's making something out of nothing here in the off season, but um, you know, there's a lot to be excited about for Michigan football, like we were saying. So we'll definitely continue to find content in the, uh, the lost spring that is spring of 2020. Yeah. I mean, I'll put it this way. This is the first time I haven't talked about college football from the standpoint of, Oh my God, are they actually going to play anything this year? So yeah, I kind of needed this and I know we went long, but I think this was therapeutic for the both of us from being honest. Yeah, absolutely. I don't mind going long when we took a couple weeks off there to try and adjust to what's going on with the world. So nothing wrong with that. I mean, we're all kind of adjusting to this new reality. And uh, I think, yeah, let's talk as much sports as we can. Let's get weird with it this offseason. Why not? 
Absolutely. And, and like I said, as the final message here, everyone continue to stay safe, social distance, wash your hands, um, do your part. Like the thing that I think if every state's governor came out right now and said, I need you to stay home. So we get college football this season. <laughs> I think we'd see a lot of the, a lot of those states down in SEC country, maybe turn change their tune on this whole thing pretty damn fast. So yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're really close to being on the edge of, are we going to start on time or are we going to start at all? So yeah, stay home. So we get college football. Yeah. Do your part. So we like, I just keep telling people do your part. So we get the things we want. So we get bars back. So we get movie, forget sport, like forget sports. I want to leave my house and like not be worried. I might kill someone accidentally. Like I just want that back. So yeah, yeah. I'd take patio beers back. (laughs) Well, I'm, I've had a few self-isolating patio beers. It was a gorgeous day today. So that's true. I have a backyard and I'm in Denver. So yeah, it's good, but But, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, that was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with more off-season content sooner rather than later. Uh, Any final thoughts from you before I close this out, my friend? No, no final thoughts. I appreciate, uh, like I said, appreciate you having me on. Appreciate anyone who's maybe even made it to this point in the pod. Um, that didn't shut it off after Andy wasn't here. Hope I, I hope I did him proud as I, as I carry his sword, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, you guys know where to get our shows by now there, wherever you get the other shows you're listening to. Um, and again, if there's anything we can do to entertain you, take your mind off things. Um, I know there's not a lot of escapism out there right now. So if there's anything that you'd like to see that you think would be entertaining, please, please, please reach out and let us know. Please, we we really drastically need uh, some more human contact. So, <laughs> literally anything. If you want to, if you want to talk about toppings on pizza, let's go. But make sure that you uh, you reach out to us uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, like Mason Brew at Mason Brew on Twitter. Follow both Anthony and myself on Twitter at Anthony T Broom at JStorm three hundred three. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, leave a review for all your shows and content wherever you get your, your podcast by searching. Maze and Brew podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. I'm Jared. That's Anthony. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. Go blue.